0: There's an old story about a man who fell off a cliff, and as he's falling, he feels himself going down, 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 and he throws out his arm and miraculously catches a branch as he's falling. As he's hanging there by that branch, he calls up, is anybody up there? And a voice from heaven says, yes. And the man says, who are you? And the voice says, I am God. I am going to save you. Oh, good. Wonderful. What should I do? And the voice says, let go of the branch. Is anybody else up there? Trust. Trust. Trust is putting all of our Easter eggs in the God basket. Trust is letting go of the branch or anything else we're holding on to and saying, God, I'm all in. Trust. Trust is what the women in the resurrection story had in Jesus. They trusted him. They trusted that he was someone special. They trusted he was sent from God. They even trusted that he was the savior of the world. But then he died. And then it was dark. And there were earthquakes. And there was a grave. And he was gone. And their trust wavered. Oh, oh, they still loved him. But trust? Hmm. These women, they're they're all over the story of Jesus. They're at the cross. They're at the tomb when Jesus' body is buried. They're at the tomb again on the morning that Jesus is raised. They're the first ones there, and they are the ones that are sent out to then tell everybody that Jesus is risen. And the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is Matthew chapter 28, and it goes like this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, I love that phrase. I'm just going to say it again. I love it. I love this Easter phrase. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Now, as the women were on their way to the tomb, they had been wondering how they were going to get in. The stone had been rolled, the the stone was on an incline, that was how it was in the tombs back then, so it was hard to get it up and down. And they had spices and oils they were planning to put on Jesus' body to, to more adequately prepare his body for burial, as something that had not been able to be done with the crucifixion. They weren't sure how they were going to get in. There was also the intimidation factor, because Roman guards were assigned to keep people out of the tomb and to assigned to keep people away from Jesus' body. So they weren't sure how this was all going to happen. Then there's the earthquake. Then there's this vision of a person in white, this, this person exuding lightning. Whiteness, the Roman guards pass out, and the women stay standing. The angel says, He's not here. And the women were thinking, Where is he? The angel says, He has risen. And the women must be thinking, As in, He's alive? And then the angel says, He is not here, He has risen, just as He said. And perhaps the women were thinking, did he say that? Because I didn't see that coming. The angel continues, Matthew 26, verse 6. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. <laughs> what were the women doing? What were they thinking? As they ran away from the tomb, as they ran toward the disciples, they were thinking, we have to tell them what happened. But what were they talking amongst themselves? I, I have to think that they were thinking about the angel's words. He's not here. He's risen. He's alive? Where could he be? And the angel said, just as he said. And their question, did, did, he, did we miss something? Did he tell us this? And eventually their eyes would be opened and eventually they would realize they would have memories that yes Jesus actually had told them these things they just hadn't been thinking of it. In fact there are three specific times in Matthew, Mark and Luke in which Jesus very clearly and obviously tells his disciples and his followers I'm going to die I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to raise back to life. Here's an example of Matthew chapter 20 verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So he's very, very clear and explicit at least three times in those Gospels. And in the Gospel of John, there are, there are more references, but they're a little bit more veiled, a little bit more subtle that you might not catch. But besides what Jesus said, there also is the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures that the women and the disciples would have been exposed to. In fact, the Psalms are full of prophecies about how the Savior would be crucified and would rise again. And for example, Psalm 22, written 1,000 years before the time of Jesus on earth. Psalm 22 talks about how the Savior will have his hands and feet pierced through. Psalm 22 talks about the Savior's bones will not be broken. And in a crucifixion, la- the legs of those crucified would be broken in order to, to, um, to, to make their death more painful. But here, the, the prophecy says, the bones won't be broken, and Jesus uniquely did not have his bones broken. Psalm 22 also says, men will cast lots for the Savior's clothing. Can you imagine what the prophets were writing as they were writing these things? They had to be like, these, these are crazy prophecies that God's given us right now. This is Psalm 22. And all these things happened just as he said. Similarly, the Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet says, our Savior will be rejected by humans. Our Savior will be killed as a sacrifice for humanity. The Savior will be silent in front of his accusers. That's the story that Jesus does. He, he doesn't respond to the accusations in all of his trials. The Isaiah says the Savior will be buried with the rich. Jesus is buried in a rich man's tomb. It says the Savior will be with criminals when, he's, when he dies. That's the story of Jesus too. All of these things happened just as he said. Jesus told them these things. And in John chapter 14 verse 29, Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. He wanted us to know that his word is true. His word is sure. We can trust that things will be just as he says. Jesus wanted us to know these things because he wants us to believe. The good news of Jesus is that we can believe in him and have a new life. The good news of Jesus is that life can be radically different. I look around our church and I know that in a group even much smaller than this size, we bring messes of life. Yeah. In fact, we could be a group of one. <laughs> and we bring stuff. Yeah. Right. We've brought histories, relationships, guilt. Yeah. We've got past. Even the youngest among us do. Yeah. And not only the stuff that we've done ourselves, it's, it's been the stuff that's been done to us. It's the world that we live in. It's the things that other people have heaped on us. But the thing is, is that God so loved the world that he sent his son on purpose to die on the cross, conquer sin, and not just die, but come back to life overcoming sin. The Father sent the Son to earth so that we can live a new life So that the resurrection of Jesus shows us the kind of resurrection that can be ours. And for those who believe in Jesus, resurrection is in two phases. There is the resurrection of new birth in Christ that we experience here on this earth. There is a being made new. There is a newness that God works in us. And then someday when Jesus comes back, because he says he will come back again, someday when Jesus comes back, there will be the final resurrection, and our bodies will be the resurrection bodies, just like Jesus had a resurrection body. And all will be made new. Jesus came so that we would believe, and by believing, that we would have life in his name. Jesus makes it possible for us to have something different. And it's this resurrection that that I think the thing that gets me is it seems like we could just stop at Good Friday. We could stop at the cross. We could stop where Jesus died this perfect death and that was a satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just conquer death and make death go away. He doesn't just conquer death and all the deathly things and all the dark, deep pain and brokenness and suffering and awfulness of this world. He doesn't just deal with it. He actually then creates a future that can happen after it. That's what resurrection is all about. And all these things happened just as he said, so they would believe. Let's talk for a minute about the difference between belief and trust. So belief says, as you're hanging from the branch off the cliff, belief says, God, I believe you're up there. God, I believe you're speaking to me. God, I believe that you exist and you are real. Trust says, I will let go of the branch. And I think that a lot of us have belief, we have mental assent in God. And belief is important. Belief is necessary. We have belief and we we believe right things about God. But I wonder if we have the trust. The trust to give our hearts to God. Not just our minds, but our hearts too. When I think about the women at the cross and I think about the disciples at the resurrection of Jesus, they they had thought all the right things, but their trust was, was hurting. It's funny because all the events of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection happened just as he said, and still nobody saw it coming. In fact, the only people who are even thinking about maybe there might be something to Jesus coming back are, ironically, Jesus' enemies, the people who actually crucified him. Ironically, they're the ones who are remembering Jesus said something about coming back to life after three days. We might need to be worried about this. We read about this in Matthew chapter 27. This happens on the Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, Saturday, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So, Give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Now, Pilate never wanted to crucify Jesus in the first place. I think he's a little exasperated here. I just imagine exasperation in his voice of him saying, Fine, verse 65. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So a legion of Roman soldiers goes, and for three days they're supposed to stand outside the tomb and keep people from breaking into it. And then they take hot wax and they seal it around the edge of the tomb to prove that nobody is opening and closing this tomb door. So the tomb is made secure. See, not only do these Pharisees not trust Jesus, But they will do whatever they can to keep other people from trusting Jesus, too. And people, you are here today because you either love God or are seeking after God. And you need to know that there are both internal and external forces at play in your belief. The things inside yourself you might know. But there are external forces at play, like what we see here the life with god is a supernatural life and there are supernatural forces at play and sometimes the barriers to faith are internal and sometimes they're external when mary magdalene and mary and the other women left the tomb they ran to tell the disciples what was going on they explained about everything and what happened when they told the disciples they said we got there tomb is empty no nobody's in there the the guards all passed out the guards all fainted and there's an angel bright lights he told us to go give you this message what what did the disciples do they don't believe them they don't believe them from everything we read in the scriptures apparently none of them believed the women let's look at three specific examples of followers of Jesus and how they responded to this the first one is Peter in, in Luke 24, verse 9, it describes what happens when the women came to Peter. When Luke 24, verse 9, when the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So it's this whole group of women saying, guess what we just saw? Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So they're they're hearing the words of the women. They don't believe them. They think, this is nonsense. That doesn't make any sense at all. And what does Peter do? He goes and he sees the tomb is open, The tomb is empty, there are the linens that had wrapped the body of Jesus' dead body that were lying there in a pile, and he's like, huh, I wonder what happened. He doesn't understand. Then there's Thomas. You might know this part of the story, this is a a well-known one. This happens a a little bit later. You see, uh, at, at this point in the narrative, Jesus had already appeared to the disciples Uh, after his resurrection, except Thomas isn't there when Jesus comes to them. So Thomas, in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And then the third example is a couple of disciples, not not the 12 disciples, but two other followers of Jesus. One was named Cleopas, and the other was his friend. They're they're walking down the Emmaus Road. They're, They're on a journey. And this is the same day that Jesus resurrected. This is Resurrection Sunday. And they're walking along this road being very sad. Jesus comes and appears to them and walks along the road with them. But they're kept from recognizing him. He's disguised from them. They don't know who he is at first. And it goes like this in Luke 24, verse 17. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. So they'd heard the news. They'd heard Jesus was alive. But from their perspective, they didn't know what to believe. And they're sad. Their faces are downcast. They said, we had hoped he was going to be the one. All of these people heard incredible news. All of these people had the testimony of the women. But church, just hearing about Jesus doesn't automatically lead to faith. Just knowing things about him doesn't lead to belief. What keeps us? What keeps us? We are people who have access to knowledge and understanding. We've got the Bible on our phones. We've got the Bible on the internet. We can look up all sorts of things. We can look up the prophecies. We have access to information. What keeps us from trusting Jesus? I think we're I think the humans in the Bible are a lot like humans today. Peter. Peter, he, he goes away wondering. He's like, it's nonsense what they're saying. I don't, I don't even understand. That's, that stuff's all, you know, that's all nonsense. I'm just, I don't even know what's going on here. We've got, we've got cloth lying around. I'm, I'm just wondering what's going on. Peter says, I'm going to trust my own intelligence. This sounds like nonsense, I'm going to say that this is nonsense and it doesn't make sense, and I'm going to decide on my own what I believe. My beliefs will be founded on what I think they should be, and I'll just figure this out on my own. He's leaning on his personal intelligence over Scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with intelligence, and we we should use our intelligence that we have to study and to learn and to understand. But when our intelligence becomes the barrier to faith, that's where we need to pay attention. And I think we do this. I think we say, God, you've got to prove yourself to me. God, it doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to believe it. God, it seems like you're wrong here, so I won't believe you. I-, I talk to people all the time who are arguing with the Bible. I don't like how the Bible handles this. Well, you're not in charge. <laughs> God, I don't like how you say things are. God, clearly it's unreasonable for me to let go of the branch. I'm holding on to the branch, God, because this is clearly the right thing to do. Some of us trust ourselves, and we trust the human over the supernatural. And sometimes that's what keeps us from faith. Then there's Thomas. Thomas says, I'll trust in things that I can see and touch. He says, this whole like supernatural bit, like I saw those miracles, I was kind of okay, but like resurrection's a little over the top. I can't go there. You can do good miracles like, you know, feeding people, but resurrection's too much. I want facts. The story of Thomas goes like this. He says in John 20, he tells the disciples, "Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it." John 20 verse 26. A week later, so seven days later, that's next Sunday, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think Jesus had fun doing that. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, and this is important for us, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus receives Thomas' faith. He says, good, I'm glad you believe in me. But there's a blessing for those who don't see me and believe. Thomas had been going through this thing for a week. All of the disciples were telling him, Thomas, it's true. We saw him too. The women aren't lying. The women aren't crazy. The women aren't speaking nonsense. They actually have the right information. Thomas, you got to believe. Thomas says, I'm, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm only going to trust in things that make sense. And I wonder if some of us are in that place, in the Thomas kind of place, where people around you say, I believe I've experienced God. God has changed my life. You need to listen. And you say, nope. Nope. It's fine for you, but I'm not there. I I, I can't trust. God has to prove himself to me. You know, when we're in that mentality, we're putting ourselves as the center, and we're putting ourselves as the source of truth. Now, Jesus wants to meet you where you are, and Jesus wants to meet you with, with who you are, you also need to know that he's asking you for yourself, and you're going to have to give that up at some point. That's Peter, that's Thomas, and then the, the men on the Emmaus Road. <laughs> Their faces are downcast. This is Easter Sunday. They're sad. And they're disappointed. They're just disappointed. They said, We had hoped he was the Savior, we had hoped that he was going to make all the difference. We had put our faith in him, and then look what happened. Their story goes like this. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, I wish we had that Bible study. I wish we had that Old Testament study that walks us through the whole thing where we have the, the prophets and all the, all, the, all the writings that were prophesying that Jesus, and, and so he breaks down the scripture to them and he gives, he schools them, he gives them a little bit of an education along the way. Then they wake up to it and they realize th- what they've all been missing. But up to that point, they were disappointed. They were disappointed because they had faith in in Jesus, and he didn't meet their expectations. They had faith that Jesus would be the Savior of the world. They had hoped for it, and then Jesus failed. They had waited and hoped and watched, and they had walked with Jesus, and they'd been faithful to him while he was alive, but then when Jesus acted in a way they thought he shouldn't, they gave up their faith. I think... Some of us may be in that place too. We've been people of faith. But there have been some disappointments. And God hasn't acted like we thought He should. He hasn't done the things that clearly He said He was going to do. And we're disappointed. But here's the thing they think it's the end of the story and it's not. They haven't waited long enough. They, they haven't waited long enough. They had to wait for the whole resurrection bit to happen. They jumped to the conclusion that God had let them down. In church, I think a lot of people today, a lot of Christians and believers today, have jumped to the conclusion that God has let them down, and they've lost their faith. They needed to wait longer. Because Jesus' plan of salvation is much, much better than their plan of Jesus' salvation. What keeps you from trusting? <coughs> like Peter, is it your own mental gymnastics? Like like Thomas? Is it that you've decided you have to have your truth? Is it the men on the Emmaus Road just disappointment because God didn't act how you thought he should? What what are the barriers to your trust? Trust is a journey. Trust is something that takes a lifetime to build and an instant to lose. Trust is an ongoing journey, and it's built over time. The only way to gain trust is time. Trust is chosen. It's an intentional decision. I'm going to trust. It's an I'm going to uncurl my fingers around that branch and let go. Trust is something that you mature into, and it's something that you choose at the beginning of your spiritual journey, and it's something that you choose again and again and again as you grow. If you don't need trust in your life, I'm guessing you're not growing spiritually. Trust is something you mature into. What keeps you from trusting? You know, there's, a, there's another group of people who also received this news that Jesus came from the dead. Let's look at them. In the guards in the guards, uh, the, guard, the Roman guards who were at the tomb are in a little bit of trouble because by, by having this tomb break open, having that seal broken, these men are going to not only lose their jobs, they are probably going to lose their lives. They're in really big trouble. And the guards saw the angels. The guards saw the earthquake. The guards fell down as though dead. The guards were petrified. They saw it all. They heard the testimony of the angel. They know the news. Here's what happens with them Matthew 28, verse 11. The women have just taken off. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine what the chief priests did? <laughs> The soldiers had the information, but the soldiers didn't have the faith. The soldiers had the information, but they, they didn't have the trust in Jesus. And not only did they not believe, but now they're doing their best to thwart other people's belief, to spread lies and deception and, and twistedness on the situation. Remember, there will always be external barriers to your trust in God. There are outside forces as well as your inside forces at play seeking to undermine your trust in God. So what's, what's the turning point? When do we change? When do we see these men change from not believing to believing? What is the turning point? Peter gets a reminder of how loved he is. Thomas, when he encounters Jesus, is reminded that those are blessed who don't see. What is the turning point? You know, everything changes for these people when they encounter Jesus for themselves. Everything changes when they have an experience of God themselves when it turns from from just information to a personal experience. Today, Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he told us that he's given us his Holy Spirit. And so as people on spiritual journeys, we have the Holy Spirit of God alive in us, at work in us, and it is the Spirit of God that helps us to identify how God is working and if he's calling out to us. And we encounter God We encounter Jesus not in the same way that the disciples did physically and bodily because Jesus now ascended into heaven and isn't on this earth physically in that way. But we have now been given the Holy Spirit and so we encounter Jesus in that way. And the question for you is, have you encountered Jesus? Jeremiah 29, 13. I I love this passage of scripture. I think it's so encouraging. The Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you really, if you really look for God, you're going to find him. Don't give up too soon like the men in Emmaus. Don't get caught up in your own disappointment. Don't get, don't get caught up in your own head like Peter. If you seek me and find me, you'll, see, you'll seek me with all your heart. We would trust him. Trust, it's something we choose. And it's something that's built. There's a story about a man by the name of Charles Blondin. He was a a real person who lived in the mid-1800s. He was an acrobat, like a, a tightrope walker. And he's famous for walking on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. It sounds like a terrible thing. I can't even imagine that possibly happening today. But back in the mid-1800s, they did crazy stuff like that all for the sake of a stunt. And so uh, he, he was on a tightrope 1,100 feet across and 160 feet above the Niagara Falls. So he would walk across a tightrope. Uh, he, he had several different variations on this. He could do it while, while wearing a blindfold. On another occasion, he crossed on stilts. Now, I'm just telling you what the history books say. I don't know how this is possible. You just, that's just what they say. And on another occasion, he stopped halfway through and stopped and cooked an omelet. <laughs> and one of his exhibitions that he did, he decided to push an empty wheelbarrow over the tightrope. And like all of his other previous trips, he was successful, and everybody clapped at the end. There were thousands of people out there watching him. They're clapping, clapping, clapping. After the feat, he told the crowd, Okay, now I'm going to go back across to the other side, but this time I'm going to carry a man in the, in the wheelbarrow with me. Who believes that I can do that? And they all say, yeah, 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 we believe you can do it. And then Blondin said, so if if you believe I can do it, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) No hands, no hands were raised. I think that's us. I think that's us. God, I believe in you. I am not getting in that wheelbarrow. God, I believe in you but I will not let go of that branch. God, I believe in you, so I will have all of my education centered around what I can get in church on Sundays, but the whole, like, giving you my life part? Mm Mm-mm. Jesus, church, Jesus wants it all. Jesus doesn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. He died for all of you. He resurrected for all of you. He did these things just as he said, because so much is at stake. He has for you not just interesting information and we can just we can dig in and get all this interesting biblical studies you can learn new things about God that are just that will blow your mind. That's good. He wants you to learn. But he has life change for you. He has a new creation for you. He has hope for you. He has the promise that life in this world can be radically different. And he offers it to you by faith. So he asks for your faith. He's asking for your trust. And he wants you to trust him with your life. We use the phrase asking Jesus into your heart. We use the phrase giving your life to Christ. And when we say giving your life to Christ, we actually mean giving up the way you do your life and operating by a different code. He's asking you to let go of the branch. He's asking you for everything. Will you trust him? Jesus said that he is God. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God other than through him. Jesus said that he stands knocking at the door of your heart, asking to come in, asking for your trust, asking, will you let me come and change everything? Will you let me come and fix what's broken, heal what hurts? I'm going to do it on my time frame. It's not going to be how you want it. You got to trust me. Trust me in the process. Will you let me in? Will you trust him? And I have a question for all of you today, and I just want to invite you to Close your eyes and bow your heads, and examine your own trust of God. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, but like I said, trust is an ongoing thing. Trust is an ongoing relationship. It's one that's built over time. And for those of those of you who've been Christians for a long time, where where is your trust? Maybe a little damaged, or where's your trust a little weak? Can you say, God, I I let go of the branch today. I trust you. I choose trust again. God, I trust you've got more for me. I trust I've been taking matters into my own hands. I trust you. If that's if that's you, with your with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just lift your hand and say, God, just once again, I just say again, I, I trust you again. I trust you again. Renewing this today, I trust you again. Thanks. And then there are some of you maybe who have never put your trust in Jesus and today's your day. You've been holding back, holding on and it's Easter Sunday and you've come here searching for something. And the invitation for you today is will you for the first time make that shift that shift from not putting trust in Jesus to putting trust in Jesus. Confessing to, before God, God, I, I need you. God, I am broken. God, I confess this to you and I receive your cleansing and your forgiveness. If, if that's you and that's what you want to say to God today, would you lift your hands wherever you are? And so, God, we, we come to you confessing, confessing our forgetfulness, confessing our weakness, confessing our disappointments, confessing all the things, all the barriers. And we say, God, we want that faith. Make us people of faith. Make us people of radical faith, God. Lord Jesus, you say that you will give us assurance that we are your children, and I pray that you will give us assurance and a confidence that we are sons and daughters of you. And I pray for you to build us up in Christian maturity and in strength. And that you will make us weak where we need to be weak, and strong where we need to be strong. May we trust you, God. Amen.